Welcome back to the Whip Around, our latest weekly women's basketball podcast on Swish Appeal, hosted by myself, Sabrina Merchant. Today, Tuesday, July 26th, we're talking about the final of the annual Commissioner's Cup between the Chicago Sky and the Las Vegas Aces. The game is taking place at Wintrust Arena and will air on Amazon Prime at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. It's the second edition of the Commissioner's Cup, and hopefully we'll get a more competitive final than the first time around when Seattle beat Connecticut by 22 points in the W's first game back after the 2021 Olympic break. If you remember, the Storm had five Olympians, and yet their three gold medalists made a convincing argument in the rust versus rest debate, each putting up double figures in that blowout. What I also remember is that while the Sun and the Storm seemed like the class of the league at that time, neither made the WNBA finals. It's hard to see a similar occurrence this year. The Aces and the Sky have been the only teams this season to hold the title of best team in the W. Las Vegas passing it along to Chicago somewhere around the time that they blew a 28-point lead to the Sky, and that too on the Aces' home court. Chicago has only lost two games since, both on back-to-backs, and one without Courtney Vandersloot. And yet, the Sky are only two-point favorites at home in this cup final. Perhaps it's a testament to Las Vegas' quality, the Aces do own a seven-point win at Wintrust already this season, or that Sloot will be playing in her first game in nearly two weeks after missing the last four with a concussion. Or perhaps it's an acknowledgement that the Aces in the Sky tend to play in some wild matchups. Who can forget the Hamby Heave, or the beautifully diagrammed Allie Quigley game-winning three in the bubble, or last month's historic 28-point comeback? Whatever the rationale, I really hope that the betting markets have this right, because we all deserve a close game with a title and a lot of money on the line. I'm actually a big fan of the Commissioner's Cup. Even if it seems like a majority of WNBA players seem to forget about its existence during the season, it adds extra weight to the regular season, which is a consistent problem among American sports leagues, without requiring its players to suit up for additional games. It's also an excellent way for the league to give the players more money without having to rewrite the collective bargaining agreement. Though this is where I do have some issue with the implementation of the cup. Last year, the league proudly proclaimed that it would be awarding a prize pool of $500,000 to its players, with around 30k to each member of the winning team, 10k to members of the losing team, and an additional 5,000 for the MVP. But even if each team had 12 players, which Connecticut did not, that would top out at 485000 less than 500 k And then last year, Sierra Burdick of the Seattle Storm revealed that she didn't even get the full 30 k for winning because players had to have participated in at least five Commissioner's Cup games to get that full amount. That situation likely cost rookie Keanu Williams a few thousand dollars as well, even though there was no written acknowledgement of that rule prior to the final. As a result, it does not appear that the $500,000 prize pool was completely distributed to the players. This year, the WNBA is once again touting a 500k prize with 5k for the MVP and 10k for the runner-up players, but now, per the league's website, 
members of the winning team will be able to earn in excess of $30,000 per player, which should address that discrepancy. However, the league still appears to be shorting its players. In the current CBA, Article 33, Section 6, entitled Special Competitions and Tournaments, it reads, The WNBA shall have the discretion to, in consultation with the Players Association, create and schedule special competitions or tournaments during training camp, the regular season, and or the playoffs. Any such special competitions or tournaments shall include a minimum aggregate player prize pool of $50,000 for the 2020 season and $750,000 for each subsequent season hereunder. This is 2022, a subsequent season. So the Commissioner's Cup final should be for a prize of at least 750000 The league has donated 165000 to civic organizations chosen by each team as part of this year's Cup. But even if it counted that money as part of the prize pool, which it should not, that number is still falling short of 750000 It's unclear to me why the players haven't raised more of a fuss about this. Perhaps they're getting their money in a way that hasn't been publicized by the WNBA, or they've agreed to funnel that extra money into other elements of player experience. But I question why a league that is criticized for player compensation would fail to broadcast that information. Regardless, the Commissioner's Cup continues tonight with what promises to be an excellent final. But as is so often the case with the WNBA, I wish it could just be about the basketball. Incidentally, not being about basketball is the case for the team that I'll be discussing for the next segment of this podcast. While the very best of the league faces off in the cup final, I took a trip down the WNBA standings to check in with my hometown team, the Los Angeles Sparks. I was joined by Edwin Garcia, who covers the Sparks for Swish Appeal, to talk about how this team has evolved under interim head coach Fred Williams and what the future looks like for a franchise in the middle of an important transition. Unfortunately, We recorded before a report came out that Liz Cambage will be parting ways with the team. She didn't factor too much into our discussion, but we also weren't able to react to the news. I hope you enjoy our conversation about the Sparks anyway. All right. I'm really happy to be joined by Edwin Garcia, also of Swish Appeal, who covers the Sparks for us. Uh, Edwin, how's it going? It's going good. Um, Enjoying this little break that the Sparks have had. Uh, They've played so many constant games. So it's nice having a week where there's only a a couple of games on the schedule. Yeah, and it's a very big game coming up for the Sparks. Uh, Looking at the standings, you've got to think that the Sparks and the Mercury are kind of going to be fighting for that eighth seed or at least some form of playoff seeding going down the wire. And so this game in Phoenix, uh, I think it's going to be really important. But yeah, I just wanted to sort of get your thoughts on how the Sparks have looked different since the big front office coaching upheaval that happened earlier this year. What, what's, what's like the major thing that has stood out to you of the Fred Williams era? Uh, I think the defense has taken a significant uptick. There's been a lot of improvement on the defense. Uh, that, that to me is, is the biggest you know, difference is that it's more like the old defense versus, you know, less uh, versus what it started like. Uh, at the beginning of the season. So I think the biggest improvement, I think rotations have actually been a little bit better. There's a few things I would do that's a little bit different uh, on the depth chart, but I think overall 
uh, there's been a, you know, general consistency despite the injuries and, and health and safety protocols are definitely still a factor uh, with the Sparks, unfortunately. But I think Fred's done a good job of optimizing the players he has and getting them to buy in on the defensive end. And I think that's why we've see, we're seeing them kind of more in the forefront of that, you know, six through eight instead of on the back end like they were most of last. I'm not even sure the statistics completely capture the difference that we've seen with the Sparks because they still rank 11th in the league defensively. But I, I almost feel it's more of a consequence of like, oh, they played three consecutive games against Seattle, Washington, and Chicago versus right. you know hemorrhaging points to the wings and the Mercury earlier this season. But I, I look at what I see on the court and like the product feels markedly different to me. Like I'm watching a team that, yeah, they're surrendering some threes, but that's because they're just so aggressive in their pick and roll coverage. Like, like they send like these really hard traps and sometimes they overhelp. But like, to me, that's the sign of a team that's more, like the scheme makes sense to me. Like even if they're going to be giving away, you know, some, some threes every so often, but like when I'm watching the sparks earlier in the season, it was just, Oh, they're not closing out to shooters for no good reason. Right. Like the way things are happening defensively yeah. makes more sense. Even if the outcome is not as, as improved as you know, you might think. And like, I, I think the same thing applies offensively where the Lord knows what happened in the Derek Fisher offensive system. I gotta be honest. It's very unclear to me, like what was trying to be run the last year and a half, <laughs> but like I see, you know, elevator screens being run for Katie Lou Samuelson and like really specific high low actions for NECA and like the, where she gets the ball makes a lot more sense to how decisively she wants to attack. I hate to just say like, I don't believe like the statistics. So I'm def- definitely not one of those people when I watch basketball, but like when I'm watching the Sparks, they feel a lot better than the team that started the season, even if numbers wise, it's not painting the same picture. Yeah. You know, uh, it is definitely a cop out. I noticed with people as well, when they, when the stats don't agree, they're like, well, you got to watch, but sometimes it is true. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's true of this team. If you watch, you know, I don't think you could trick me. You definitely couldn't trick me. If you show me like, you know, the first five games of the season and the last five games, I'll see the difference, you know, like you said, in the buy-in on the defensive and on the effort. And like you said, I'd much rather you overhelp and maybe you get, you get, you know, burned on, on a, on a layup versus you weren't rotating to begin with, or, you, you know, maybe you were, you were just playing a cover. So it didn't make sense. And you're hundred percent right. I, I was doing a deep dive in some of NECA's film uh, this past week. And you definitely see the high low action where she gets the ball on the block. It just makes so much more sense. She's sending down screens for Katie Lou. Like it's just the offense runs a lot better even if you look at the points and they might not be a difference from before, it's something where when you watch the team, you know, you see the intention, the design, even if execution's only slightly better or kind of even to before in terms of actual points on the board. Right. And it's gotta be just so hard to go through a coaching change during the WNBA season, because there's so little time to get acclimated to a new system. Even if coach Fred has right. been on the staff since 2019, like there is a definite difference in what he's trying to implement versus what was happening at the start of the year. And they're also still dealing with a roster that was constructed by, you know, said former general manager, which Fisher, yes. that I disagree <laughs> with. Like I, I thoroughly enjoy watching pretty much everybody on the sparks, but like the combinations are a little bit difficult to come up with just based on, you know, what's been put together. And that's why, even though I think that the sparks are probably going to make the playoffs Five thirty-eight has them, I think less than 50% right now, which was very surprising to me. Um, I didn't think the aces loss was that bad, honestly, like they were in it for three quarters and to just like fall off because Raquan Williams did a bunch of big shots down the end, like shouldn't have made a 20% difference in their playoff odds. I don't know, but I think they'll make the playoffs. I'm just curious. Who do you think in that top four or five, they would match up best against? Oh my goodness. So you, you could said say in the no four one. Five? 
that's okay. In the top four to five teams, <laughs> top five teams, let's say, who would they match up best against? Like you said, I don't think I don't feel good about any of their chances, Got but it. who I feel the best in either. Oh, my goodness. Um, it's really tough. Maybe Seattle or Washington or, okay. or Connecticut. One of those three. Definitely not the sky. Definitely not the aces. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mystics. What scares me about the mystics is um, Della Don's been so good recently. And I'm like, if she keeps up at this, it might be one of those scenarios where, where they might be a, a lower seed, you know, on the top four, mm-hmm. but still be you know, a threat because if she's going to be this good, that's scary. And I never really believe in the Connecticut Sun. I never bought in all these years. I never, I always feel like, you know, they kind of falter in the playoffs. So why not roll the dice with them? Even though 19 and nine, again, the stats are there. They're always a very, very good team and they, they do make it pretty far. So if I had to pick, it probably would be one of those two, the Suns or the Mystics, maybe the Storm, but definitely not the Sky, definitely not the Aces. That would be a rough series, I think, for them to match up with any of those two teams. Yeah, the Sparks are now 0-4 against the Aces, so uh, the, the numbers don't lie there either. <laughs> and as yeah, far as the Sky, rough, yeah. they did beat them in Chicago on ring night. Not ring night, I'm sorry, on an opening night. Um, opening but that night, yeah. was just a different sort of arrangement with Kalia Copper not yet back from overseas and Emma Meesman's first game still figuring things out. A lot of Dana Evans, which I, I mean, I like Dana Evans. I just don't think that would be happening in a playoff series. So I, I'm not sure how much right. stock to put into that particular game. But yeah, I, I'm with you about the sun just because I think the Sparks' biggest weakness is surrendering three-pointers and the sun don't yeah. do a lot of that. So you can kind of keep up with them offensively just based on your bigs if you like, you know, slow the pace and just hold on to the ball and keep them out of transition. Like there just seems to be a clearer path to success against Connecticut than the other teams. But then again, like, why would I want to face a team with John Quill Jones like, <laughs> and Bree Jones and all of this talent? That yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, all, all of that is to say that I don't think that the Sparks would be favored, obviously, in any of those matchups. But I do think that their best path forward would be against Connecticut like you. Yeah, exactly. And with, with the Sky, it's interesting because um, two of the games were very close. One they won. And the recent game, it was they were kind of there until, until later in it when, you know, the, the, the Sky pulled away. But like you said, I think the guard play is just too exceptional for a team like that. The, the best course of action for the Sparks is, is a team with, you know, average, around average guards. And even if they have incredible bigs, you know, the, 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 the Sparks you know, go are. off. Yeah. Yes, we've seen Cam. We know Cam Beige. It may not be as consistent, but but you would not be shocked if I told you, hey, she scores twenty five tonight. You'd be like, oh, okay, so she was on, right? Mm-hmm. So you can see in a in a three game series that's much much shorter. I can see a, a home game. Everything clicks for the bigs, and if the guards aren't closing team and they have the home court advantage, they can steal the game. And now now it's a three game series going to the third game. That's respectable given everything that's happened with the spark. Yeah, totally. But as I told you before we got on today, uh, I'm not as interested in the Sparks this year as I am in what they look like going forward, because like we just discussed, the ceiling of this particular Sparks team kind of appears to be a first round exit. Whereas, you know, there's, there's some interesting pieces on this squad going forward. And there's just so much uncertainty because they just fired their head coach and GM. It's unclear to me who was running front office for the Sparks right now. Uh, They don't particularly have like someone set in mind to be the head coach. I don't think because Fred Williams is still talking about going to Auburn when the season ends to pick up on the college coaching job that he had, you know, decided to take before Derek Fisher even got fired. So there is literally a bazillion number of directions that the Sparks could go in. And we've talked about this earlier in the season, like who we think 
would be a good head coaching candidate for LA. Just historically, this team has tended to pick the splashiest candidate, you know, like the one with the biggest name. I could see them targeting like Lisa Leslie, who's had some head coaching success in the big three, you know, just another big name to sort of win the press conference. I hope that that's not what happens. Not, not that I'm saying that Lisa Leslie's not a good head coach. It's just, I would love to have a head coach right. with actual WNBA experience who could take another step forward with the Sparks, because I do believe that there are building blocks to be had here. I'm curious, Edwin, do you have any ideas about who you'd like to see on the sideline next year? Or is that just too far out to consider? Uh, it's, a, it's a little too far out. I also, I really don't think Fred's coming back just because like you said, he has that other position that he already accepted, you know, who knows? Uh, I don't think it's a question I really want to ask him right now, but it, it might be something to wonder if he does get offered with that, would he consider it? Would he just, is it automatic kindly decline? You know, I want to build the program that I'm building, you know, cause I, I already, like you said, already accepted that job prior also a, a new GM I'm assuming. Right. So, so we're going to have to, who do they want? And, and the, the whole situation is very murky with, with the sparks. It, it's, it's incredible. They even had a turnaround given all that's happened it would be very easy to see this team just go on a, you know, eight game losing streak and kind of implode, but they didn't. So props to them for that with coaching. You know, we, we, yes, we did have conversations about this, you know, kind of privately just kind of talking about it. I'm not sure who I want either right now. Um, I think I would look like you said, either, I would definitely try to focus on people who understand the women's game the most. And I feel like, like you said, with the the sparks, similar to the other problem with the other purple and gold team in Los Angeles, it, it kind of ends up being too much flash so often uh, roster and coaching. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it can it can burn you just like it can help you, right? We've seen we've seen both ends of those coins, and that's what I'm hoping the Sparks don't do. I hope they don't just pick, you know, ex Laker legend or ex Sparks legend just because, like you said, if it's because of the process, totally fine. I'm not there in those rooms, but if it's because I feel like you just wanted us to say, oh man, so and so is going to be there, uh, that that's not a good look. So hopefully they do their due diligence this time around and just pick the best candidate. And I hope that the candidate, like you said, has WNBA experience, victory experience, college experience. I think there's a lot of good college coaches that, you know, you can you can probably, you know, convince to at least have a conversation about this position. It's a big position. The Sparks are a big team, even if they're in one of those more down years. So I think it's a great position to be head coach of the Sparks. So hopefully they they treat it seriously and kind of pick someone who, you know, will help the team in this kind of transition process between the years prior success in 2016 so on to, to now and trying to get another championship. Yeah. Anything better than having a list of one, like they did during the last coaching hire would probably yeah. be a oh, good yeah. start. Um, I mean, although <laughs> I Adrian Wojnarowski yeah. was the one who announced that Derek Fisher was hired. So I think that's part of what they were looking for. And again, which is part of the problem that has befallen the sparks in recent years. But anyway, let's talk a little bit more about the players who are going to be on the roster. The sparks have a ton of free agents this year. Basically, everybody other than Jasmine Walker, Olivia Nelson, Adota, Kennedy Carter, and Katie Lou Samuelson is going to be a free agent. And three of those players are, I would say two and a half of those players are rotation players right now for the Sparks because Kennedy's been a little bit in and out this year. Um, same with Liv, honestly, depending on when Fred Williams decides to use a three-big rotation. But who do you see this, the Sparks building their next team around? Like, does NECA come back and we like, roll it similar to this year or how, how does the, the next year of the Sparks look like to you? The next year is really big. They, they have to figure out where, where they're heading. And I think, I think they're still thinking we can pursue a championship and we can build that way versus like a complete rebuild. We see that less in the WNBA unless you're like the Indiana fever. Right. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, I definitely think NECA should be priority number one. It's got to be bring back NECA. She's the cornerstone of the organization right now, and she's still playing at such an incredibly high level. I struggle to imagine that they can get someone better than NECA in free agency mm-hmm. or via trade or something next offseason. So that's, you know, it's always easiest to, you know, retain the best talent you have and just go after the talent you're missing. So to me, you got to bring back NECA. That's got to be focus number one. Then you just make the list of the players. You said, Kay Lou's coming back, right? We got, I think, Kennedy Carter as well. We're talking about the guard plays an issue. Which guards do you think can stay? And which ones do you think it's okay if you let them walk? And I think you got to go more on the youth end with the guards that you have. I think there's some good youth. I like Lexi Brown a lot. You know, Jordan Canada is amazing. After that, it, it, there might be some tough conversations to have about who where the other guards will be. And I, I think that's where, you know, they, you might see some changes definitely in the Sparks. It's probably in the guard play. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about the Sparks is what their level of commitment to Kennedy Carter is because they signed her to an extension before the season started. So there clearly was an interest in making her a part of the future. And the fact that they surrendered a first round pick to get her, like it's basically the 2023 first round pick is Kennedy Carter. Like that's who the the Sparks chose to be on their team instead of drafting. And (laughs) at the start of the season, it was unclear how much they were actually going to play Kennedy because her minutes fluctuated quite a bit. Um, Fred has openly said that there are some nights that he's just not going to play Kennedy because they have four other guards, you know, when everyone is healthy, who should be in the rotation. So I think that she obviously has an astounding level of talents. And when you see those flashes, like we saw a little little bit against Atlanta when she came back, um, I mean, that coast to coast drive that she had the end of the first half, that was just stunning. Like that's not something a lot of players in the WNBA can do. Um, She was also quite good against Vegas this past Saturday. So, I mean, I don't think it's dramatic to say that Kennedy Carter has the talent to lead a WNBA franchise. Like that's why she was taken as high as she was in the draft by the Atlanta dream. But putting it all together has still been a challenge in year three. And I'm curious how, I don't know, how committed the Sparks are to her if, you know, say the opportunity to trade for Skylar Diggins-Smith presented itself. You know, that's a question I think it's, it's really hard to answer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. If Skylar Diggins-Smith is available and, and willing and all of that, I think that's something you have to do. So, yeah, again, like you said, it's always a, a risk you run with, with youth in, in the um, – in the WNBA, you know, uh, Katie Lusa, for example, right? She bounced around the league. Now she's got a home here in LA. She's got, you know, uh, a contract for next year and she's really excelled. So you kind of, it's always, it's always such a tricky thing with WNBA because it's so small and the rosters are, are, are so small in depth mm-hmm. that you have to kind of guess which players do I keep and I'm, I'm going to keep them for two or three years to develop and which ones it's just not worth that risk. I can get someone that can help me right now. That's definitely better and I'm not even sure if this player will grow there's less patience because there kind of has to be because there's so few spots on the roster and just in the overall talent pool and every year you know there's another you know group of draftees coming in so yeah I think that'll be interesting I think Kennedy Carter like you said her her bright spots are the best she's been hurt so much this year it, it's really frustrating when you don't get enough data because you feel like well you missed like four weeks here you played eight games here you know you were on the bench for this game you know, and, and what's the truth about who you really are and who you can be it gets harder when there's less time. So hopefully in this final quarter here, she's healthy now, she's good to go. And we can see a good, you know, 12, 15 games from Kennedy Carter, including the playoffs, where we can really see, okay, I believe this is who she's going to be versus right now. I, I definitely feel like I, I am more excited about her play given the season she had with the Sparks for the little, you know, pockets of brilliance she's had. But I definitely don't feel 100% confident on what she can be because she just hasn't played enough. Yeah, and I do hope that the Sparks put her in a position to succeed because so often we see Kennedy on the court and it's, oh, she's 
not bringing the ball up the court and she's playing off ball and somebody else is running the offense. And why are we doing that to somebody who is one of the, the best creators with the ball in her hands in the W? I mean, it's one thing to just keep her on your team. It's another thing to put three point guards in front of her and say, hey, Kennedy, figure it out. So that is the most interesting subplot of the Sparks offseason is one, like I, I don't think they're going to trade Kennedy unless like, like I mentioned that that offer comes in and like a disgruntled superstar wants their way to Los right. Angeles. And like those things happen. They obviously do happen, not just in the WNBA and lots of other sports. Yes. People want to come to Los Angeles, but even if she's on the team, like what are the sparks doing to feature her? Like that hasn't been the priority this year, right? It has not been to feature Kennedy Carter. And I get it. Like she's yeah. a third year player. You got to go through your lumps, but at a certain point, like you said, the WNBA is really small and players wash out pretty quickly and she's got to show something that is incumbent on the sparks to give her that opportunity. So that that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. And like, maybe you just got to get a coach who has a really good basis with Kennedy Carter. I don't know who that happens to be, but I mean, maybe Christy Tolliver wants to come back because the sparks head coach. Who knows? That would be interesting. That would be interesting. I would like to see Tolliver do that. I don't know too much about her experience besides, you know, I know she's on the, the match staff and things of that nature, but yeah, it would, it would be, that would be an interesting pickup, definitely. Someone who knows, you know, the roster, who's on the roster, right, and, and is already getting some of that NBA experience and, and how to run a, you know, a professional team. Yeah, that, that could be an interesting, an interesting thing. She's also an unrestricted free agent, so we'll see what happens on that front as well. But like I said, older guards, you probably got to go with youth on, on the guard front, especially with how brilliant all these guards are, especially looking at the front, right? We're looking at the, the sky, the aces, the, the teams in front of the Sparks right now. If best-case scenario, they end up at the sixth seed, the common denominator for just about all those teams, except maybe the sun is they got some really, really, really good guards on the perimeter and you have to be able to score on them and defend against them. And you know, that that's something that maybe right now they just can't do with the current makeup of the roster. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, but it's going to be really fun last month of the season, watching the sparks and again, just a supremely fascinating off season ahead. I can't wait. Thank you so much for coming on Edwin. Is there anything that you wanted to plug uh, before I let you go? Um, no, just keep reading Swish Appeal. I'll be sure I'll have a couple of articles up this week. Uh, we have uh, one Sparks game this week, so looking forward to that. And yeah, the end of the season is going to be incredible. There's uh, so many teams that are kind of tied in that six to nine. So I think, again, we're going to get another really tight race and, and every game is going to have some kind of playoff implication, whether that's going up in the standings, winning the head to heads or, you know, dropping out because, you know, you lose. So it's going to be really interesting seeing the, the final run here and final quarter of the WNBA season. Yep. Can't wait. Thanks so much. Yeah, no problem.